lots of twists and turns this week for Auburn athletics, specifically Auburn football, as Cornelius Williams, the wide receivers coach, is fired, TJ Finley comes in late to save the day, and Auburn looks ahead to Death Valley. All right, everybody, I'm your host, Kristen Carr, and thank you guys so much for joining us again for another episode of Page 8 Podcast, brought to you by the Auburn Plainsman. We have Henry Zimmer here to help us break it all down today. Henry Zimmer, how are you? Hey, thank you for having me. I'm doing well. All right, we're going to jump right in, and we're going to talk about Cornelius Williams. Obviously, breaking news this weekend as it was... I think under 24 hours after that Georgia State game that Justin Hokinson sort of reported that he was fired. Uh, what what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it was about 3 o'clock uh, yesterday afternoon. I actually woke up from a nap and uh, saw my phone blowing up from people tweeting about it. I think he's kind of the fall guy in this situation. Um, the wide receivers obviously are not the group Auburn's probably used to having with guys like Seth Williams, Anthony Schwartz, Eli Stove. They have the guys that played under those three guys. So when you have three NFL caliber talents, your young players aren't probably going to see the field as much. And so you kind of with the house of cards there in, in a sense that, you know, you have your great talent in the now, but when those guys leave, you know, what do you have after that? So Auburn's left with the remnants of whoever was left behind, you know, Schwartz, Stove, and Williams. And these guys are untested. These guys are unproven. Shedder Jackson's the oldest guy on the field, but he's never really played a full season at Auburn in his four years here. So the wide receiver production is not what it used to be, not what's probably expected of Auburn. And when you're looking to make a change, you can't fire the players, right? So the coach kind of gets in the way of that, and they fired Williams. He's a guy who's coached almost at every school over the state uh, collegially. He has a lot of ties to recruiting in Alabama, and it kind of came as a shocking firing, but it makes a little more sense when you see that Eric Keesaw, uh, the wide receivers coach at Boise State that coached with Harson, is most likely 99.9% going to be the guy filling in that role. And you saw Harson bring a lot of his staff over from Boise State in kind of the skill player position roles, um, like tight ends and whatnot. So it makes sense. Maybe it was always destined to happen, um, but it is what it is. And I just think Williams was just the fall guy for it. I don't think it was anything he did. Harson said it. There was no off-the-field problems, no incident or whatever. It. I just think it, especially when you look at the Georgia State game and the fact that Auburn had to come back against a team they paid to come to Auburn, you know, something's not working. And mm-hmm. maybe that just sends a message to everybody at Auburn that, hey, we're not playing around. You know, we can't have these type of things happen. We're trying to win championships. Let's play football now and not play for the future. Yeah, and I think it's important to note, you know, there were a lot of rumors and sort of conflicting stories on what might have happened. And, um, you know, Auburn did release a statement saying that it had nothing to do with William's character. And, you know, in his press conference on Monday, Harson said that he's a very good man. He's very professional. He spoke very highly of him, um, which I think sort of speaks to maybe why he was fired had really more to do with the fact that he just didn't have the same vision for the team that Harson had. And I know Harson was talking about how he had a specific, some specific goals and visions for the team going forward that just didn't quite line up. And I think with the coaching staff, you have to mesh so well, you have to be cohesive. And apparently that just wasn't happening and he just wasn't 
fitting in. It seems to me like a little bit of an a sudden, odd way to go about it. But uh, Harson was very, very clear that he didn't do it to make a point. And there was a reporter who asked him specifically that, and he he got a little bit defensive almost and, and, a, and a little bit frustrated with, with him <laughs> when he asked that question. He was like, no, no, not at all. So um, it's an interesting situation for sure. Yeah, it's definitely odd. You know, you don't see wide receiver coaches being fired four games into a season a lot. And, you know, Keesaw was kind of helping Auburn in an adjunct role. So I think Auburn was going to probably take him on eventually. Mm-hmm. And it just so happened that, you know, week four was the day. But, you know, Coach Williams is young. He'll find a job easy. And, you know, that is what it is. Yeah. And I think, you know, Hartson also said he doesn't take it lightly, um, right? Firing someone at this stage, um, you know, only four games in. And he he is aware of how much it affects things and how much it can affect the uh, the dynamics of the team and and how the coaches react to the players and how the players react to the coaches. And um, it is a lot to throw into the mix as they are heading into LSU this weekend. So, you know, Harson is very aware of that, though. He knows what he's doing. (laughs) For whatever reason, he's decided to do that. But, yeah, I think this is an interesting move for Harson, an interesting way to approach the season. I think even though he did say it wasn't to send a message. It even still if he, sends a message. Exactly. Even if he didn't mean it to, it definitely does. I think a lot of people are looking at this saying he really means business. So it'll be really interesting to see how Eric Keesaw sort of meshes in and comes in with a vision that Harson has and maybe what he has to offer. All right, next up, we are going to be breaking down a little bit more in detail the Georgia State game. Hey, this is Miley, podcast editor for the Auburn Plainsman. If you like this podcast and would like to support this organization and our team, you can visit our website at theplainsman.com and click on the button in the upper right-hand corner that says Donate. You'll be supporting over 127 years of local, editorially independent journalism right here in Auburn. Thank you so much in advance. Now back to the show. All right, we are back, and we are going to be talking about the Georgia State game. A little bit of... A lot, really, of a surprise, I think, for a lot of Auburn fans. Auburn just barely scrapes by with a 34-24 win. I want you to give us a picture of the stadium, of what the environment was like. You know, Auburn was expected to win quite a bit. So what was it like to be in there watching all of that go down? Yeah, when you're a 27-point favorite for your homecoming game and you go into halftime down... Uh, the boos are coming, and they didn't <laughs> stop till about about under a minute left in that uh, fourth quarter. So, yeah, that was a bit of a disaster. Uh, and uh, you know, you're missing two big guys on defense, which I think went a little bit unnoticed. And it, the storyline falls more on Bonex being benched, right? And you know, that's obviously a huge thing. But to us in the press box, what we really noticed was the lack of Owen Pepo and Jacoby McLean in the middle for Auburn's defense. And you look at the first half compared to the second half, Georgia State puts up 24 points, which is their season high. They have almost 300 yards, and they're running right down the gut every single time. They're running right at Auburn's replacements at middle linebacker and on right. the inside. Because Owen Popo is hurt. He was nursing an injury from Penn State, and Jacoby McLean was fulfilling his suspension 
for targeting against Penn State. But you get Zacoby back right at the beginning of the second half, and Auburn only allows under 100 yards in total offense for Georgia State, and they don't allow any points. So you obviously see that having those guys makes a huge difference. But it gets overshadowed when your starting quarterback for the past couple of years gets benched, and it's hard not to talk about that. It's hard not to look at that. And then that brings about the question, who's going to start next week against LSU? Is it former LSU quarterback TJ Finley, who is the, quote, hot hand? Or is it your veteran guy, Bo Nix, who, which shouldn't go unnoticed, has beaten Alabama, beat a ranked Oregon team away in a neutral site in his first ever game at Auburn? You know, Bo's not some sort of slouch quarterback. He's not our four-string guy. He's a guy that's one passing touchdown short of being a top six in Auburn passing touchdown history. So... You know, a lot of things happened. The defense did not play well when they don't have those leaders out there. Smoke Monday is kind of the leader on the defense when all else fails, but he can only do so much from the farthest end on the field. You know, he's the Mm -hmm. farthest guy back. So the defense needs to play better, obviously, and it did once they had their guys. Um, Bo got benched because he wasn't playing to his strengths, and he got benched because Harson said the team needed a spark. Harson said that, They'd played all the wide receivers they felt comfortable with. They'd played all the running backs they felt comfortable with. They'd played every tight end they had. You can't start playing different alignment, then you're going to have a real problem. <laughs> so the only position group that's available on offense to be changed around is the quarterback. And yeah. that just kind of is what it is, that, that you shouldn't read too much into it because T.J. Finley is our second-string quarterback. So whether it was Grant Loy or whether it was D. Davis, whoever it is, somebody was coming in for Bo, and it just happened that T.J., made the opportunity work for himself. And now that has caused this bigger issue. And Harson said in the press conference after the game, he goes, I don't have to tell anybody what my decisions are as the head coach right. because they're my decisions and my decisions alone. And he did not name a starter today in his press conference. I wouldn't imagine he'll name a starter probably till Friday. Even may not, he may not even do that Friday. He may, the guy who runs out there Saturday at 8 o'clock may be the only time we know when the starter comes. But I would imagine it's Bo Nix if we're talking about that type of thing. It's... TJ Finley threw 16 passes. You cannot, you know, it's a very small sample size to then just usurp the starting quarterback over the past couple years. He threw 16 passes, completed nine of them. He missed a couple wide open passes. He's not very mobile on his legs, though he did make some running plays. Bo Nix gives you that extra oomph, you know, you could say on uh, on the field with his legs. And again, LSU, that's their guy. They know TJ Finley. Ed Ogeron recruited that guy. Right. So, they can game plan really well for T.J. Finley, and they've obviously played Bo Nix, and they can game plan for him, but they could probably game plan for Finley even better. So, you know, all signs point the Knicks being the quarterback going forward. Georgia State was a mess. Put that behind us. We got SEC play going. You know, if I was Brian Harson, gather the team. They're splitting team reps, but I'd probably put Bo Nix in there as a, as a starter because you just you, you can't replicate that uh, that age and that, SEC caliber type of quarterback that he'd been able to have for the past couple of years. So yeah, yeah, and I want to touch on what you said earlier about just his experience in the SEC. Um, and um, I think what's happening is we have this level of expectation for Bo, who is expected to be a an extremely high caliber SEC quarterback, and if he doesn't deliver all of a sudden... The boos start coming. Exactly, exactly. So Auburn has very high expectations for him, and as they should. I think if you are a quarterback for an SEC team, 
you know, there is that expectation to execute. But like you said, I mean, he has proven himself over a long period of time. So I don't think that that starting, that starting job for him will be given up easily. And I know Coach Harson mentioned after the game, he said, if he was talking about how he had benched Bo Nix and he said, you know, if you're not pissed, when I, yeah, after you get benched, there's a problem. And he was talking about how frustrated he was. He said, you know, Bo Nix did not want to sit on the sidelines and he spoke so highly of him. He said, you know, he's a hard worker. He's always been driven and he's never not been that way. And so I think Harson is speaking highly of both quarterbacks. And that's Absolutely. what I do like about this scenario. He's approaching it with, I'm supporting my team and not I support, you know, Bo or I support TJ. He's getting behind whoever can execute the best. And when TJ has a great moment, he's encouraging of that. And when Bo has a great moment, he's encouraging of that. So he's more just about having everyone be executing to the highest level, their highest potential. And I think that message really resonates with a lot of Auburn fans because that's what they want too. And I think there is a lot of loyalty there for Bo Nix. There's a lot of people who everybody wants him to succeed. And so who knows? I mean, maybe having that moment getting benched for this game was sort of a wake-up call for him. And, it's a fire and maybe, under you. Yeah, exactly. Maybe it gives him a little bit of a chip on his shoulder so that he can go in and really prove himself this week in practice. And as you mentioned, you know, the starting quarterback has not technically been Damn. announced. So it is still up in the air. Although I do agree with you. I do expect him. I do expect Bo Nix to start going into LSU, like you mentioned you know, Finley did transfer from there. So LSU is particularly familiar with him, with the way that he passes. And um, it may be, it would be a pretty big gamble, I feel like, for Harson to start Finley. What do you think about that? I think Bo will start. I think that's probably the safest call. You know, if, if that's what you're trying to do there, you're trying to make the most consistent call, you start Bo. But I think you now have the double-edged sword of Bo and Joey Gatewood again, right? You have two guys that are very easily able to start in the SEC. I mean, you saw Joey Gatewood went to uh, Kentucky right after he left Auburn. You know, you'll probably see TJ get in that game. I think he's earned that, and I think his teammates are now aware that he's very capable of doing this for Auburn. Right. And Bo is probably aware, and Harson's probably aware, and everybody, and all you know, the 80,000 people in the stands are aware that, okay, we might have something with this kid, so... Yeah, I would expect to see T.J. Finley on that field come Saturday. I would assume it's probably in some sort of goal line situation or maybe some sort of trick play. You know, Harson is very cool with running trick plays and yeah. having people running around, different people coming in and out. I think Bo's your starter. He had a bad game. Everybody has bad games. You know, yeah. it just kind of is what it is. It, it happened on a bad day. It was very publicized. But Auburn won. They're undefeated, and they moved up in the rankings. So, you know, you've got a little bit of momentum, at least in that category, going towards your first SEC game. You got a double-edged sword if you're a coach, but I think you run with your guy that you named the starter to begin with. Because Harson doesn't have any allegiance to either of these guys. You know, neither of these right. kids came to play for him specifically. So if he, he's going on who he thinks is the best, I think you probably go with Bo Nix. But I think TJ Finley has earned the right to take the field 
in some capacity or another going forward in the season. Do you think that will be in a situation like this past weekend where if Bonix is really struggling, what what do you think is going to be the point where Harson goes, okay, let's let's do the switch? Yeah, he said, somebody asked him after the game, like, do you kind of have like a pseudo um, pitch count on your quarterbacks, right? Like how much mm. is too much? Yeah. You know, if your pitcher's getting beat up and he lets six, seven runs up and you're getting crushed, you know, when do you pull him to kind of save him emotionally and physically? And he said, you know, I kind of just make these decisions. You know, I just see what is the best for the overall team and not so much maybe for the guy, but for the team as as a whole and the fan base as a whole and the coaching staff as a whole. So I would assume that if Bo starts playing, you know, he's missing a bunch of open passes deep and they didn't connect on one deep ball. So that's a right. huge issue. You know, if, if they have that again against a much better team in LSU than Georgia State, then you do have a problem. And then maybe you do need to go <laughs> find another quarterback like TJ Finley to get in there and maybe connect on some deep balls. But TJ Finley didn't connect on any deep balls. So then do you go to Grant Lowell? You know, who do you go to at that point? But yeah, I, I guess Bo is on maybe a pitch count that Harson's not admitting, but we can't know that until Harson says that. So. It's it's probably just up to play and up to yeah. situational. And again, like he said, he was looking for a spark. TJ Finley gave them that spark, gave them just enough spark to put them one point ahead. And then he got the two-point conversion and then Smoke ended it with the pick six. But it's just we're just going to have to wait and see. And again, it's like Joey Gatewood. We're just going to have to wait and see what situation falls, whose way, and you know the rest will be history at that point. Yeah. All right. Next, we're going to be looking ahead to the LSU game this weekend in Death Valley. Hi, this is Trice Brown, multimedia editor for The Blindsman, and here's your news for the week. As of September 27th, 49 people were hospitalized for COVID-19 at East Alabama Medical Center, or EMC Lanier. Of those 49, 17 were in the intensive care unit, 16 of which were on ventilators. After peaking in early September, when 93 patients were hospitalized, 26 of which were on ventilators, the number of patients hospitalized for COVID-19 at East Alabama Health Facilities has consistently decreased. However, those requiring intensive care are there for nearly four weeks on average. According to EAH spokesperson John Atkinson, the 16 patients on ventilators have been hospitalized for an average of 26.24 days and counting. One patient has been hospitalized for 50 days. As has been the case for the last few months, nearly all of those requiring hospitalization for COVID-19 are unvaccinated. 48 of the 49 people hospitalized at EAMC or EAMC Lanier on September 27th were unvaccinated, including all 17 COVID-19 patients in the ICU. This has been your news for the week. Now, back to the show. All right, now we are going to be breaking down Auburn versus LSU. It is going to be a night game at 8 o'clock, so a little bit later than Auburn's used to playing, and it's in Death Valley, so things are bound to get interesting. And Ed Ogeron, head coach of LSU, was talking about Auburn in his press conference and specifically Tank, and he was saying, I watched a play with Tank against Penn State. It looked like he broke about six tackles. I'm a really big fan of Tank. I tried to recruit him here. We're going to have to gang tackle him. He's a really good running back and a really good man. So, wow, what a quote from Ed Ogeron and just the respect that he has for Tank Bigsby 
as well, honestly, he should. Tank Bigsby is quite the athlete and honestly one of the most consistent parts of Auburn's offense and the team as a whole. So what do you think Tank is going to have to offer as we head into this game? Well, especially if you look back at Georgia State, quarterback play is not there specifically, and wide receiver play is a bit of up in the air. Run the ball. That's your easiest way to get yourself back into groove on offense. You have Tank Bigsby, who obviously is an NFL caliber guy since the day he stepped on uh, the field at Auburn. And you have Jarquez Hunter, who's leading the nation in yards per carry. Run the football. And if that's how you want to establish yourself on offense, that's how Auburn has established themselves on offense in the past. Run the ball. Put the ball in the gut of your best two playmakers. Because I think that's fair to say. Your best two playmakers are taking <laughs> taking the balls in the run game is uh, in Bigsby and Hunter. So give them the ball. And you have Sean Shivers back, too. Yeah, I was about to say Shivers as well. A huge he playmaker. He did not touch the ball very much in, at the Georgia State game, which maybe because he's missed the last two games, you know, kind of bring him back into the fold. But you have three guys that are extremely capable of making big plays any given time they touch the football. So give them the ball. And I think any coach would be silly to not take notice of that. And obviously, Ed Ogeron's no slouch of a coach either, and he knows that. Uh, but on the flip side, LSU, they're going to sling it. They're going to do the exact opposite. They are going to throw the ball around. Max Johnson will probably throw 35-plus passes. Um, he's not the best quarterback in the world. He's a lefty, which I think is important because it kind of changes the way you play a little bit. Yeah. Um, it changes the way you have to rush the passer and changes the way, you know, for – how you have to defend him as to who he's throwing to. And they have Keishon Butte, who has eight touchdowns so far through four games. He's yeah. obviously their guy. He is their guy through and through in the passing game. And that's one place that Auburn has struggled is defending the pass. They allowed a lot of passing yards underneath, and that's kind of been their thing, is keeping everything in front of them. But if you allow a team like LSU to get some momentum with their best player, letting him get in front of you, you know, that kid could have two touchdowns easy and then Auburn finds himself in a big hole. So right. the two offenses are going to be doing two different things, and it just is going to kind of come down to what defense can hold what form of offense to the least amount of points. I mean, yeah. obviously, but still. Yeah, I agree with you. I think this game is really going to come down to what defense can really make the plays. Um, I mean, yes, there's offense at play here, but – Defense is going to be the story of the game and who can be consistent. And like you said, if Auburn does let some of those long passes early on in the game, they're going to lose traction really quick. Um, and I think it's important for them to do what they did at the very, very beginning. I realize it is against Akron and Alabama State, but they were much more consistent about there was no blown coverages uh, and it was just very clean. And I think that's really what these coaches are looking for going into this game is like, let's clean it up. Yep. Let's clean it up and let's make everything, let's execute the way that it's supposed to be done. And I know Coach Harson said that LSU's special teams was going to create a little bit of an area of challenge for them. And what do you think about how Auburn is going to sort of combat LSU's special teams in that way? Because they are explosive. Keep the special teams to punting. I think that's your big thing, right? So don't allow LSU to start running up the score. Because if they run up the score at one of the most hostile environments in the SEC, then they get two quick touchdowns, you may see an onside kick real quick. And if they recover that and they go up three scores, 
Auburn has not shown any ability to be able to come back from something like that. Or even, you know, you're down 13 points or something. Auburn has still not shown a great ability to be able to bridge those gaps. And the kick returning and punt returning, when we've been able to make some wedges, I mean, you see that those kids are able to get the ball rolling downfield. And you can see that we've got some capable guys back there um, if you're a coach. So, you know, limit LSU's offense to then limit their special teams in the way that they get the ball. Don't let them have kickoffs where they can get you on on an onside kick you're not expecting or get a squib that you're not expecting or have a trick play on a field goal that they fake or something. You know, make pin them back, make them punt, and, you know, get the ball in the hands of your own playmakers if you're Auburn to then get the ball out of the playmakers of the other team. And you're in a hostile environment. You are in a crazy environment. Death Valley under the lights is going to be rocking. And Auburn hasn't beaten uh, LSU in Death Valley since, I believe, 99. So this is a huge game historically for both teams. Mm. And, you know, there's a ton riding on this for either side. I mean, LSU, you saw, was ranked at the beginning of the year, lost their very first game, and they have not really recovered uh, to that, I think they were 16. They haven't recovered to that level of play since that game. And obviously Auburn's kind of stumbled in the last game. You know, they're trying to come out of their own. They're trying to win their first SEC game under Brian Hartson. So it's it's going to be a tough one. It's going to be a slug on either side. But, you know, if you're, if you're Auburn, run the football, run it well, get your linebackers tackling in space, keep LSU off the field, and, you know, you should stand a chance to win a football game late. All right, who do you think is going to win this, Auburn or LSU? Uh, I originally picked LSU. Um, I think playing Death Valley is just a different environment. But saying that <laughs> is to say that Auburn played in Penn State, so they have a bit of a experience with that type of crowd. Very but, true. Uh, I, I think LSU makes too many plays in the passing game. Auburn lets up a couple big ones, and they can't recover. But I think it'll be close. I mean, so that, that could be a swing either way, but I think LSU might pull out. All right, well, we will see what happens. It should be pretty interesting. Thank you guys so much for joining us. This has been another episode of Page 8 Podcast brought to you by the Auburn Plainsman. I'm your host, Kristen Carr, and Henry, thank you so much for coming Thank you for having me, as always. It's awesome. All right, we'll see you guys next week.